0: Well, I will go ahead and get started. All right, I'll do a countdown. Three, two, one. Hey, this is Cleo with CleoYogaFinance.com and welcome back for another episode of Financially Free with Cleo a show where we shift mindsets with real and raw money conversations with everyday people, empowering you to take action, appreciate the journey, and live the lifestyle you desire, financially, mentally, and physically. And today we have a very special guest. We have Becky Mullenkamp, and she is a mindset coach. And she's on a mission to smash patriarchy by helping women in their inherent worth and power. Believe in their inherent worth and power. Welcome to the show, Becky. How are you today?
1: I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk.
0: Oh, I am too. And I appreciate you for taking your time to be here with me today. And I love to learn more about you and the mindset work that you're doing and changing lives, which is it's very, very much needed in today's world. Um, Even before the pandemic and everything, um, I do feel that mindset work is very important. So I'm excited to share what you do with everyone. But first let's start with learning more about you and your childhood. So if you could just share with us how you grew up and when you first learned about money.
1: Well, I grew up in the Midwest And in a, what I guess I would now think of as sort of a solidly middle-class existence. Although at the time I didn't think so. And I still don't fully know because I don't really know what my parents made. But then my parents got divorced and we moved into, I would say on a lower (laughs) middle-class existence as my, my parents navigated the divorce. And I mean, my relationship with money and my earliest memories of money were definitely around lack. You can't have that because, oh, that costs too much the story I always tell that my mom hates, but was when she was, we were going through that, she was going through that divorce. We all were. Uh, And money was very tight. She didn't make a lot of money. She was trying to get her master's degree while raising two kids. And she used to take us to Taco Bell. This will also age me because I'm going to tell you what tacos cost at Taco Bell then. It's so much different now, but they were like 49 cents. And I remember my mom would say we could get like, three things off of the 49 cent menu, or we could get two and a drink. And that was always, and so everything was always like, there's this much money and we have to be very careful about how we dole it out. It meant not getting the things I wanted at Christmas. And I lived in a neighborhood or in an area, a school district where most of the kids had a lot more money than me. I had an immense amount of privilege that I didn't recognize at the time. But I felt a real feeling of lack. The other kids were having, you know, getting three swatch watches for Christmas or four Cabbage Patch kids. And I was like, if I got one, I was very lucky Mm -hmm. to get one is privilege, But at the time, it just felt like there's not enough money.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can totally relate to the Taco Bell. I used to when I I haven't eaten Taco Bell in a long time, but I used to eat it a lot. Soft tacos was my favorite. And I know over the years, they have had all kind of stuff on the menu. But I remember that growing up too. Taco Bell, KFC, <laughs> Burger King, because my older sister used to work there as a teenager. So I used to go there and get a lot of free food. Uh, but I can yeah. totally uh, relate to that. Um, so when you think about just from, you know, growing up, even young adulthood, and up until now, uh, what do you feel is your best money decision that you've
1: made thus far? Oh, that's a great question. My best money decision I've made so far, I think was in my personal business. And that was start shifting to the profit first method. Now there's plenty of money coaches out there that don't like that method. A lot of accountants that don't, and I totally get it. So it's not for everyone, but for me as somebody who avoided money, who didn't want to look at my money because it was scary and overwhelming and made me feel like there's not enough, I would just ignore it, (laughs) which led to there not being enough. (laughs) So it was a really self-defeating activity. I switched to Profit First a few years back. And since then, I have paid myself regularly every two weeks. I have money in savings. I have money to pay my taxes. I haven't made more money. Yet I am a better steward of my money. And suddenly it feels like there's more money. Literally, I've been plateaued in my income, my revenue for the last three years. Mm -hmm. But the amount of money I'm able to keep has dramatically shifted because I'm actually watching my money (laughs) and being careful with my money and deliberate about where it's going. It's made all the difference. Mm.
0: And when you compare that to when you first started your business, do you feel more uh, in control of everything versus when you first started.
1: Yes. And it's so funny. I've had this conversation with other people who are similar to me and who have gone to profit first or who are thinking about it. And there's this feeling that you have that I think is a lie. We tell ourselves to continue to be able to avoid money, but we believe Oh, if I do that, it's too rigid. I won't have, there won't be enough. That was always my fear. It's like, oh, I can't switch to that method. There won't be enough money. If I have to put some money into profit and money into operating expenses and money into taxes, like there won't be enough money. How will that work? I can barely continue to pay myself right now. I can barely like scrape by. How would it work? And and so it felt too controlling. It felt too rigid. It felt too, um, like too much lack. And it has been absolutely the opposite. It has been freeing. It has led to more abundance. It has actually felt like I am in control finally. And it's fun, which I never thought I would think. It is fun now to log into my business bank account and look at the money, to look at those numbers, to watch numbers actually grow, to know I have enough money to pay myself even when in the last month, maybe I made far less money than the month before. Because previously it was like all money that came in went into my personal account. And I spent it as it came in. And then suddenly when there wasn't as much money coming in, I had no money. <laughs> and looking at it now, it seems so obvious. But when you're in it and living that way, it feels like there's no way out. And I, and I remember that feeling. And yes, I feel so much more in control and free.
0: Yeah, I can totally relate too, because I think sometimes some of us, we don't want to look at the numbers or check the accounts. Or even when you mention about you know having money set aside for taxes and things like that, It can be intimidating and kind of scary, but it's like if you can only avoid it for so long until you're forced to really take a look at it and get organized. But I agree. I feel so much more in control as well. And I just feel more confident too, knowing that I set time to actually get it all organized. But I know it's an ongoing thing because I'm still learning and and growing as well. But in business and your personal finances, it's, it's just better to be as organized as you can be and continue to apply new things that you learn so it can work better for you because it's all going to help you in the long run.
1: <laughs> yeah, I avoided it for a decade. And where that got me was every year on my taxes, forget paying quarterly taxes. I was behind by a full year and even more, and then got to the place of having to work with the IRS on a payment plan. And like, it just snowballed and got worse and worse and worse. And then the more, the deeper I was digging that hole, the more it felt impossible to ever get out. And I am out of that hole In, in literally one year without making more money. One year I was able to get out of the hole and ahead. And now to where I don't have to worry about taxes. I know I have the money to pay them. I have enough to pay this year, my taxes for this year. And and I'll have enough to pay next year. I can pay quarterly. I can pay myself. Like it's just night and day. And it's amazing that it was literally not about making more money. It was truly about facing my money, which was terrifying. And then like becoming a responsible steward of my money, me being the person in charge of my money instead of my money controlling me.
0: Ooh, that's so good because I think sometimes we for we underestimate that we forget about that. But it is true. Once you get more control of that area, it's like you have more uh, strength and energy to focus on other parts of the business and even other parts of your personal life too. Because if you're so worried and stress about you know your money situation once you get that under control not saying it's to be perfect and that you'll never make mistakes but once you get it to a point where you feel like this this system is and this workflow is working for me you, you can focus on other things and actually elevate more personally and professionally so I love that <laughs> and as far as other money decisions that you've made is there anything that you feel like is your biggest money lesson learned well, I feel like
1: it's that one, but I will, as another example, I will say, and my husband, we have very different relationships with money. I think in some ways we have a similar experience of, of ra- being raised in kind of a lower to middle class um, ex- you know, experience. Although I think his family had more money. His parents didn't get divorced. They had like, they were much more responsible with their money, had savings and all that. But his lessons that he learned were a similar sort of like, there's not enough money. So like save, save, save. The difference is he responded to that by like falling in line and saying, okay, I'm going to save every penny. I'm going to be really responsible with my money. Right. I sort of rebelled and was like, well, if there's not enough money, then I'm just going to spend what I have. And like, what's the point? And I'll just spend all my money because I didn't get to spend money. Like I didn't get to have the things I wanted as a kid. So now like, oh, they're paying me money. Oh, they're going to give me a credit card. Cool. I'll buy all the things I want. Right. So it's kind of a different reaction to a similar experience. And sometimes it drives me nuts because it means he doesn't want to spend money. He's been complaining about his car. car that he inherited from me when we had a child and I, we had to get a family car. He's been complaining about it for five years and he won't get a new car. And it makes me crazy, right? Because I used to literally every two years, I got a new car, brand new, not even a lease. Usually I did lease like once, but normally it was just, I went out and bought a new car because why not? Right. And luckily somehow I managed to not really ever be upside down. I think one time I was upside down alone. I managed to somehow always be okay, but I was spending an insane amount of money on a car payment. And what I will say is that I have gotten from him and and him being more responsible is we now have two cars. They're both paid off. We are able to use the money that would have been going into car loans to put into savings and to getting out of any other debt we have, because we have some remaining credit card debt, not much, and some student loan debt on his end. Mm -hmm. And that is a lot, (laughs) but we're able to put that money that would have gone into car payments into other things. And we have two totally functioning, fantastically fine cars. Are they the newest? No. Are they the prettiest and shiniest and coolest? No. That can be hard for me sometimes because I'm used to driving a shiny new car every two years, Mm -hmm. but it's also okay. And I've learned it's okay. And that that money feels good to be spending elsewhere. And to know that when we do need to get a new car, we'll be able to do it in a way that will not put me into a $600 a month car payment. Mm -hmm. And that feels really good. And so sometimes it's hard because it's like I have to sacrifice, in my mind, sacrifice the fun thing that I used to get. And but actually, again, it's kind of like that, oh, it was fun to be able to spend whatever money I wanted, but I actually feel far more in control now. So the old thing comes up all the time. That voice is saying like, but you could have a shiny new car. And this this car is not that fun. And like it doesn't even have like, you know, a electronic panel on it, like every new car. This is no fun. And then it's like, what, do I care how much time I am actually in my car? Like, you know, and it doesn't, it feel nice to have that money every month. And so the answer is yes. And so even though, like you said, like you get, like, I'm a better financial steward. I'll never be perfect at it. There are still times where my brain kicks in and I don't want to go look at my money. And I don't for a while. And then when I do and I have an overdraft notice or whatever or a bank fee or something, I think this is it. There's that reminder. And I try to find the gratitude. Thank you. <laughs> reminder of this fee. This is why I need to continue to have these money dates with myself. Continue to face the fear and be in it and allow for the uncomfortable feelings of like, ooh, this car's old or, oh, uh, this, you know, I don't get to go buy the thing I really want today. Yeah, it, it's worth it.
0: Oh, yes, it sure is. And I think that's the most important thing you mentioned is about. Having gratitude, like we all have our moments. I know for me, my thing is I like to eat out because I don't always have the energy and time to cook all the time. So it's easier, right, to just go and pick up some, you know, fast food or go to a restaurant, pick up takeout. But I know that's something that I can't do. Every single day and expect to reach my financial goals. So just being, you know, showing gratitude, being grateful and just with the car, like I have a car now that's paid off, but it feels good to know that I don't have a $600 car payment. So whenever I feel myself wishing or thinking or wanting something that maybe I don't really need right now. I just try to remind myself that, you know, whatever I want, it doesn't mean I can't ever get it. It'll just be at a later time (laughs) and just being grateful for what I have now. So I'm so glad you mentioned the gratitude because that is a huge one. That's big.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. And also to acknowledge, like for me, one of the things that's been important is to also acknowledge my immense privilege. And to like, when I hear that voice coming up to say like, well, let's check the facts here. Right. Yeah. I don't, I can't buy the shiny new Tesla, but all the things that I do have and all the amount of privilege that I have in my life. And even like, as I reflect on my childhood at the time that felt so like restrictive and, and, and in a place of lack, I now look at it and think I had an incredible, I had so much privilege. I had a, a house, you know, and I had a, I had parents that were able to be there for me, even while my mom was trying to like go to school and, you know, I had clothes and no, I didn't have two swatch watches, but I got one and like all the things. Right. And I think that continues today of that being in gratitude helps me also keep my privilege front of mind because I think that's really important. And unfortunately I think it's something that's really not addressed and brought into the money mindset discussion enough. And that's, I think really
0: harmful. Mm hmm. I totally agree. And I think that should be at the top of conversations more often than not. And I know that goes into, you know, being financially free. Um, you know, I would love to know what you feel is to you being financially free, because I know you mentioned the gratitude. And I know that's a big part of when I think of financial freedom. I know my first thought is being grateful for what I have, but also knowing that I can get more of what I desire as well. So what does being financially free mean to you? My first step to me on financial freedom is not
1: owing anyone, right? So not having debt and I'm not there yet. So I don't feel financially free in that way. In that like tomorrow, if I stopped making money, my husband and I stopped making money and there was no money coming in, I wouldn't have much freedom because I would have creditors knocking on the door for my house, you know, for a student loan and for one credit card we still have. So like, we don't have as much as we used to. It's been great watching that shrink, but it's still there. And so that doesn't feel like freedom yet. That's the first step on my freedom journey is to get out of debt. The house might be a different story because I could sell it and we have money in that. So that's, I'm not as worried about that. But all the other debt, the things that no one could come collect on except asking me for money I don't have to pay for it. Like that's the debt I want to get out of that. The next step to me is like to have the freedom to not have to worry about Taco Bell and getting sour cream on my taco. I don't go to Taco Bell much either because I usually regret it when I do. But that idea of like, if I want to be able to go out to eat tonight, I don't want to have to make it be a decision I have to wrestle with. I have had many times in my life where I've had to look at my bank account, especially like out of college where there's $25. And it's like, what does that mean? How does that hold me over until the next paycheck? What can I and can't I buy? I'm going to Walmart. Okay, like, oh gosh, it's already at 22. Is this last item going to push me over or not? That does not feel freedom. That does not feel good, right? I don't want to be in that place again. And so that means I want to not only be able to get out of debt, but to have savings, to have enough of a nest egg that one, I could lose my job tomorrow and be okay until I, I mean, my job is my, I'm self-employed, but for my husband to lose his job, me to no longer get clients, to have enough runway that we could be able to continue to live and not be in trouble, feed our child until we got jobs. But then even beyond that runway to say, we have the freedom now to like, enjoy things. To me, financial freedom doesn't have to mean making millions. I used to buy into all of that narrative. I don't anymore. I've done all of my math. I have, and I'm telling you, this is coming from someone who does not love numbers and math and used to run and hide from it. I have a Mm -hmm crazy spreadsheet where I have my good enough, like my number, I have to meet what we need now to live, what the next level looks like for us. And then like my dream. And when I really sat down, truly thought about what my dream looks like for my life, it doesn't take millions to afford it. That's a, a, a narrative we've been sold that I think is part of it is to discourage us from even trying to get financial freedom because it's so overwhelming that it's like, I, that'll never happen. My, my dreams are really to make, a few hundred thousand a year. And that still feels like that's a lot of money, but it changes everything. When you go from thinking, well, I'm, I'm not going to be financially free. I'm not going to have an amazing life until I make tens of millions a year. And that'll never happen. So I might as well give up to saying like, Oh, I could do that and make 300,000 a year. That's a lot. That doesn't feel as overwhelming as having to make 10 million a year. So I kind of have like different places where financial freedom goes first. It's getting out of debt. Next is having a runway to survive if we needed to. And then the final step for me is like the freedom to just be able to buy the things to live the life that I imagine for myself, my definition of success and happiness, which is not what society tells me it has to be Mm. to get to that point. will be incredibly freeing, but I'm taking it one step at a time on that freedom journey
0: yes and i love that you how you broke that down because i want people to know that you know being financially free doesn't mean that we're perfect or have it all together or that we don't make mistakes or have you know ups and downs or that our you know definition of being financially free you know it can change over time as well and i'm very i feel i don't know if i should use the word basic but i feel like i'm very minimal like i don't require i don't need to make a million dollars either to feel financially free, be financially free, or to feel like I've, I've made it. Because the things that I know I like and enjoy and want to do, it's not going to require millions of dollars either. And for those out there that, you know, your goal is to be a billionaire and a millionaire, that's totally fine because that's your goals. But I totally uh, relate to that as well as that, you know, I don't necessarily have to have a million dollars or millions of dollars to really feel like I'm living a fulfilling financial lifestyle. So I love all that you um, have explained when it comes to being financially free.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think some of that is, well, I think a lot of it is just this narrative that's rooted in white patriarchy that we've all been indoctrinated into. And so we just sort of believe until we dismantle it for ourselves that everything is about more, better, bigger, faster, right? That's, that's the messaging we get. And so very often we just sort of, we go along, we go with the flow of what we, we know to be true without really questioning it, which is, that's nothing, that's of course, I, that's not about blaming you, of course, right? This Of course we do that because that's how we are all raised in what we believe. But so we buy into this idea without like actually examining, well, what does it look like for me? And why do I need that? Why does it need to be bigger? Why does it need to be faster? Why does it need to be first, the best, whatever? Do I need that? What does it actually mean for me? And that to me is where power, like that's real power. That's real freedom to stop, (laughs) examine what really you, what your life, you want it to look like without it being because you're performing or because someone told you you had to, or because you think it should need, it needs to be that way. What does it look like for you? The other stuff is all that like playing bigger mentality that can in some ways be helpful and help and, and liberating in like that. Oh, I can ask for more and want for more when it's coming from that place that feels expansive. That's great. But very often it's coming from a place that actually feels limiting and restrictive because it feels like if I don't perform, if I don't measure up, if I don't compare to everyone else, then I am bad. I am not worthy. When it feels that way, when it feels constricting and not expansive and freeing, that it's not healthy and helpful. So to watch for that of like, what part of this narrative am I buying into that's helping me, that feels good? And what parts of this don't feel good? And the parts that don't feel good then to say like, let me examine them. Let me write my definitions for these things, for what success looks like, for financial freedom. I love that you asked that because it's different for everyone. What do you want it to look like? What do you want your life to feel like? How does that look financially? And that is okay. Instead of it feeling like you're basic, although what's wrong with that word? Great, you're basic. You're a minimalist. I like that word too. But like, no, you just know what you want. Yeah, that's powerful. Like, I think that's amazing. Let's let's get there. Everything else is BS. (laughs) That is patriarchy stuff that's trying to keep us in our place. Because when in that, that old narrative, that structure of like, you have to have more, better now, fast, good, whatever. And if you don't, the, the inherent message in that is if you don't, then you're not very good. You're not worthy. You don't measure up. When, that's, when you're buying into that, and it's nearly impossible given realities of living in white patriarchy that never get discussed when we talk about money mindset and manifesting, mm-hmm. given those economic realities, you're being asked to do something expected to do something that's nearly impossible or very difficult. And then when you can't, because why could you, then it's something wrong with you. That's what happens in that manifesting message. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe, if you believe it enough, it'll happen. Let's not talk about all the economic reasons of white patriarchy that it won't happen. If you believe it enough, it'll happen. And then when it doesn't, then it's because you didn't believe it enough. There's something wrong with you. That's gaslighting. Right? Cause it's not true. <laughs> we, we take this because what we are told it's everywhere. So then when we don't measure up, we feel bad about ourselves. And what happens when you're in a place that's a shamey place or something wrong with me? You, you, you close down, right? How I was with my money before. It was too shameful and yucky to look at it. So I didn't, and I dug a deeper hole for myself, right? So when, when patriarchy uses this blame and shame against us
0: mm-hmm.
1: to keep, to, to tell us there's something wrong with us, What they're doing is basically keeping you stuck because they know that's what's going to happen, right? The system knows that if people believe there's something wrong with them, they won't examine the system and they will just stay in this place of feeling bad about themselves. And we don't, we're not empowered from that place to take action. So we stay stuck. So it's not powerful. So instead let's opt out. Let's say, wait a minute, what parts of this do I want to own? And what parts do I not? And what does it look like for me? And I'm going to do it in the way that feels right to me. And that to me is super powerful.
0: Yes. Oh, that was so good because I think more of us need to have that time and talk with ourselves about that, be honest with ourselves, and also you know, find people to talk to that we trust that we can, you know, get their advice, feedback, or just even vent to about it. Because we got to get it all out in order to really make some good decisions. And that goes into you know, starting with that mindset. And I know as a mindset coach, I know you do a lot of work with helping others with their mindset. So if you could share with us, you know why is mindset work important? You know Why is it really needed? And how do you help others with their mindset?
1: Yeah, and I kind of even, I don't know, lately I'm like, do I even wanna call myself that anymore because I don't love what mindset coach looks like in this world out here? Because it's very much contributing to everything I just talked about. People are calling themselves mindset coaches, and let's face it, very often, it's white people and it's white men that are basically doing this whole think and grow rich mentality, right? Believe it, whatever. And then it's white women who are in like, you know, manifest your, the life of your dreams, like right, the spiritual bypassing kind of approach to it. Either way, it's really harmful <laughs> because what they're telling you is that they're playing into exactly what I just said, this white patriarchy idea of like, well, if you just believe it, then it'll happen. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you without acknowledging, their own immense privilege. And so the first thing I would say is like, if you're looking for coaching, cause you talked about getting support like from friends and family and that's helpful. Sometimes friends and family aren't always helpful because they are still buying into, you know, they're, they're so deeply rooted in their own money stories that they can't help you, right? Because they can't see past their own money stories. So sometimes that means we turn to coaches for help or, you know, whoever is doing this work, gurus. But the problem is then we're giving our money to people who are not helping either, they're being harmful because they're just perpetuating these same patriarchal tools and messages. So if the coaching that you're seeking out does not address, not just acknowledge, but really address the economic realities of white privilege and white patriarchy, then run for the hills because that is harmful, not helpful. It needs to be something that's saying, yes, You have some role to play in how you show up in the world, right? In your relationship with money. And that relationship with money is informed by very real things that happen by living in these systems we live in. So let's take time to separate that out. Let's figure out what parts of this mindset problem I have are mine or are even a problem. Mm -hmm. Most of the work doesn't do that that's out there. It's just going to tell you all these like techniques to, to really manifest, to make a vision board, to hold belief, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That's really lovely for people who have a lot of privilege to make that happen. I, I love Rachel Cargill. If people don't know her, go follow her. And one of my favorite things she said is maybe you manifested it. Maybe it's white privilege. Yeah. That kind of says it right there to me that there's not enough acknowledgement happening of that. So I think when it comes to mindset, where I come from this work is let's start to figured out that difference. Let's unlearn the patriarchal conditioning, right? Well, first let's acknowledge it. Let's get to it and say what parts of this are mindset and what parts of this are real. And then let's start to detach from the parts of that that we can. Some of the stuff is well outside of our control. It's systemic, right? There's only so much you can do to affect that change. So then it's about changing your relationship with it. Say, where can I opt out if I want to? What parts of this do I no longer want to own? So starting to understand that. And then the final piece of it is the part that I think most people are doing, which is making a change. And that change, the difference I think that I bring to it is it's about self-compassion. And I want to call myself a self-compassion coach, but no one would know what that means, I don't think. But it's about learning how to remove that shame, blame, and guilt, those tools that get used against us, and to say, this isn't about me. I'm not going to judge myself for being in the place I am. When we start to encounter, when we start to face our money fear, start to face our money story, it's easy to go into a real shamey place. Like, I did this to myself. What's wrong with me? I'll never get out of this. I'm horrible, right? We go there quick. It's easy to. So I think the most important piece of the work is to stop that, to to love ourselves through change, to acknowledge and validate why we are where we are. And a lot of it had nothing, I would say 90% of it. 99 (laughs) had nothing to do with us. It was the messages that were given to us by our families. Yes. And a lot of money mindset work will go there, but I think we need to go bigger than that. It's important to look at the messages that were given to us by culture, society, religion, school, the business world, everywhere, all the stuff that was given to us or put upon us. Mm -hmm. And to acknowledge that because part that doing that acknowledgement helps us say that, I don't have to own this. This isn't me. I am not at fault. It removes that judgment and that shame to start to get to a place of loving ourselves into change. And I think truly the only real change comes from that place. We don't usually make healthy, lasting change from shame. That's why the diet industry is what it is. (laughs) Why diets don't work. (laughs) One of the reasons they also don't work. Well, they don't work for a lot of reasons, but that's one of the reasons, right? And so, so much of what's out there is trying to get you to make change from the shamey place. Let's stop that. Don't have to do that. Let's learn to love ourselves through change. And that's really where I think I come in and the work I do.
0: Ooh, love ourselves through change. I really, really love that. And like for people out there that really are serious about finding a mindset coach, what are you know a couple of things that they can look for in trying to decide which one to hire or even to start the conversation with?
1: Well, I think- First and foremost, no matter whether you're white, black, brown, I think you need to start with is this a person who's acknowledging white patriarchy? Mm-hmm. If they're not, I don't, then I say steer clear. Be careful because they will be using tools of patriarchy, even if they are well meaning people, right? I see it happen all the time with well meaning coaches, really good people. <laughs> If they haven't unlearned their own patriarchal conditioning, they are in no way ready to help you unlearn yours. Mm -hmm. And whether you are deeply affected by patriarchy because you are in a seriously marginalized community, or you are a white woman, or even a white man, we need to unlearn this conditioning that's been put upon us if we want to live in a way that's more healthy and liberating. right? And so if you have a coach that hasn't unlearned theirs, they cannot help you in any way unlearn yours. So watch for that. Are they acknowledging white patriarchy? Do they understand what that means? Have they done unlearning in their own world, right? So I think that's a big part of it. In my mind, I think that's really important. I think also after that, then it's about like, who are you comfortable with? Because for a coaching relationship to really work, you have to be willing to get vulnerable. And that's hard to do. It's hard to get vulnerable. And when we talk about money, because of all of this shamey stuff that is so wrapped up in it, Mm-hmm. It can be really vulnerable to tell someone, here's how much debt I have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Here's wh- how I got to this place. Or to even say, this is my big, scary money goal. That can be hard to say out loud, even if you're not in debt. Like, but just that you have a big, sc- like all of these conversations around money, because like, what, what do we all learn from our childhood? The things you don't talk about, money, sex, religion, money's right there, right? That is what we know. We don't talk about it, which is really harmful and part of all of what we learn. So you have to be willing to get vulnerable to somebody. So first first and foremost, I think they need to understand why patriarchy is second. I think they need to be somebody you feel comfortable talking with. And third, let's get serious about money. Can you afford to work with them? And if you can't, are they pushing you to anyway? That to me is a warning sign to run for the hills. If you can't afford to, like I have two ways to work with me one-on-one, which is not cheap because it requires a lot of my time and energy. And then I have a membership. If someone tells me they can't afford to work with me one-on-one, I say, then don't. I let them know, like, I do not want you to take on credit card debt to work with me. If you can't, I have a membership. That's a much lower price point. Let's look at that. Could that work for you? And if not, then maybe it's time to find someone else because I don't think that that is, um, especially when it's around money mindset, (laughs) I don't think it's healthy. And you will see this happen with money mindset and manifesting people who are like, well, if you, be- if you really believe in yourself, if you really want to make a change, then you'd be willing to spend more money. You'd be willing to go into debt because you'll believe that you can get yourself out of it. Run for the hills. I just personally don't think that that is healthy. So I think those are some of the key things to probably be looking at.
0: Yes. Those are really good. Cause I think sometimes people are at this point where they're, you know, mentally and financially ready to hire someone and they're just not sure how to make that decision and i think those uh tips that you shared there is going to be really helpful for people to make the best decision for them and i like that you mentioned that hey if you're not financially ready at this moment that's still okay you know there is other times there'll be other opportunities, or maybe like you mentioned, maybe it's someone else that may be a better fit um, for uh, financially for your budget. Either way, at least you know you have some information to help you make a good decision on who to actually choose. (laughs) For sure. Um, So um, now we're gonna go on to the favorites round. So I'm just gonna ask you a few questions to see what is your favorite? So the first one is, what is your favorite food?
1: I mean, I love all food, (laughs) so that's hard, Uh, but I really like sweet, I have a sweet tooth that's bad that I'm working on, but I love donuts. So I'm gonna say donuts.
0: Mm -hmm. Me too. (laughs) Do you have a favorite movie?
1: I'm the kind of person who doesn't watch movies over and over again. Like I watch a movie once and then I'm like, let's move on to the next thing. I mean, I I usually tell people it's office space because it's one of the few movies that I have seen many, many times and I can quote from. So we'll go office space.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, Do you have a favorite place that you've traveled to?
1: Oh, man. Again, when I travel, I try not to go back to the same place because there's so much world to see that I don't want to go again and again to a place. I've I've been to a lot of places. I think my favorite, only because of like the historical context and my age, I went to And again, this so ages me. I'm so old. I went to the Soviet Union before it became Russia, right before, like literally the month before the coup that led to the ending of the Soviet Union. And I spent almost a month in Russia on an exchange trip when I went to high school. And that was like mind blowing, ripped open my brain about the world. And I think it's so important for people to travel when they are young and still able to like allow in new information and perspectives before we close ourselves off. So I think it was a really important trip for me.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Cause I feel like you have to learn outside of your hometown or your country <laughs> at that. So you got to get out there. Uh, Is there a place that you haven't been to yet that you're looking forward to traveling to? Oh
1: God, so much of the world and I can't wait to travel again. And now I have a little one, so it makes it even more complicated than it used to be, but I can't wait to travel again. I haven't been to Australia. I really want to go down to that part of the world. I haven't been anywhere in Africa. I want to go on a safari and I also want to go to South Africa. There's a lot of places, so I don't know. I can't name one, but I'll at least say the continents I haven't been to yet. So those two continents, I definitely want to hit.
0: Yeah, so much to explore there, of course. All right. So if you had $500,000, what are the first three things that you would do? Not the only three, but just the first three things.
1: Well, number one's easy because I would pay off $500,000. I'd pay off all of my debt, not my mortgage, because that one, again, actually is an investment. and we have, we have equity in it. But OK, so pay off my debt. Number one, easy. The next two get a little harder. I think I would put my house up for sale and buy a nicer house because not... We just need like just a tiny bit more room. Again, I don't have like mansion dreams here, but I just want something a little bigger. Um, And we would probably mortgage it, put put a nice down payment on it. And then number three should probably be put some things and save, put money in savings. But I think instead I would say like buy something fun and nice, probably a nice trip for my family after all of this time in lockdown. (laughs) But number four would be savings for sure.
0: Yes. Ooh, I love that. always have to have in that Uh, that trip, that vacation, and go explore and and have fun because you can learn and have a good time and relax all at the same time. And after
1: this last year that we've all had, like, every, I I think we all just need expansiveness and, like, to get out of our own space for a while.
0: Yes, most definitely. Working from home uh, can be cool, but then at some point you're like, I need a vacation from home. Yeah. So yes, I totally love that. So now I'm going to just share a quick affirmation. It's just a random one. And I would love to know how this makes you feel or how does it relate to your own personal or professional journey? All right. Okay. I accept new opportunities for more income.
1: Ooh, I accept new opportunities. I mean, That's kind of like, I don't know what it means, but it's kind of exciting because I feel like it is allowing for what appears. And I am very much in that place of like, let's see what comes my way. So for me, I don't know what it's going to mean. To me, it feels more like be open to the possibility instead of closing yourself off, which I'm definitely always trying to do. So I'm excited to see what might present itself as some new opportunity that I didn't know was going to be coming. Because they always do when you're open to
0: allowing for it. Mm -hmm. They just come unexpectedly sometimes. So being open and ready to receive it is the key. So, yes, I love that one. And also here, I just want to know some advice you would tell yourself. So, you know, sometimes we're usually asked, you know, what advice we would give to our younger selves but I would like to know what advice would you give to yourself right now? And this could be any type of life advice. Well, then I'm gonna
1: step outside of money, but only sort of because it all comes back to money. I, have, I suffer from anxiety. I have um, like diagnosable anxiety disorder and I worry a lot. And it's easy to say just worry less, but maybe I would say like just breathe more because the more that I slow down and breathe, the less I worry. So it's like telling somebody who has anxiety, just don't worry so much. Is like, that's useless. So if you know anyone who does, don't do that. But what you can say is like, breathe more because when we stop to breathe and slow ourselves down, typically some of that will help to ease the anxiety. So I think my biggest advice is just like breathe more, which really what I'm saying there is use my tools, use the tools I know that work for me. Right, especially in the moments when I feel the most stress. Sometimes it's stress around money, but for me, mostly it's stress around my kid (laughs) Um, because that's where my anxiety shows up. So breathe
0: more. Yes, I love that. I think we can underestimate the power of breathing more and breath work, because even just in practicing yoga or just working out or being physically active, if we are breathing properly or breathing just normally, we're able to do more physically and mentally so I love that you mentioned that breathe more it'll help in all areas (laughs) Uh, so if you could let us know how can we support you how can we connect with you and for those who would like to get some mindset work how they can get that started
1: First of all, I just want to say, I love that you said support instead of help. I just was reading something somewhere because, you know, probably Instagram, but anyway, about using the word support instead of help, because it feels like more of an invitation and less of like a charity act. It, it doesn't make people feel as bad. It makes them feel welcomed and cared for. So it's beautiful. Thank you. And it's something I want to really be working on is changing that language for myself. Um, how can you support me? Well, if you resonate with my approach to this work, I would absolutely love to welcome people into my community. Uh, My membership is called Gutsy Boss Club. And it's not just for business owners. It's about people who want to be the bosses of their life, who want to be courageous bosses of their life. And it's open to women, femmes and them. So anyone who kind of identifies on that spectrum of femininity. Um, And I would love to welcome anyone in who is excited about this approach to this work. And if you're not sure, or you just need to know me a little better, you can follow me on Instagram. And you can also check my reels where you can find how toxic masculinity works when people reply to my reels about patriarchy.
0: Yes, I love it. Thank you so much, and I love your reels, by the way. And I it's
1: fun reading. It's great. I mean, boy, watching those fragile white guys show up is—they think they're hurting me. I—I I mean, they are providing me with the most laughter. My husband yesterday came home after one where it was particularly venomous people responses, and he was like, "I'm, I'm so upset," and I'm like. Why I said I have been cracking up at all the things they've been saying. Like, one person tried to really insult me by saying she looks 45, but she can't have a kid, which I don't even understand. What, but then I was like, oh, he's trying to insult me, but I'm actually 46, and so that's great, thank you. Like, and I know you probably thought that was the most horrible insult, anyway. I think it's hilarious. Um, so you can always come and check that out if nothing else, let that amuse you.
0: Yes. Thank you. You There's going to be people that will always have something to say, no matter what we do. So it's like the best thing we can do is just be our authentic selves and live our lives the way we like to live them. And when people show up and want to troll or just say crazy things, just like you said, it didn't insult you. You just still, you're still doing you. It's not going to make you from stop, you know, putting your message out there. That's the important thing is not allowing people to silence you.
1: Well, to bring it back to money mindset, just as we're talking about that, when you confront your money stories and stories that have been handed down to you and you decide to create a new relationship with money for yourself, it's not the same as what I was just talked about, but you will hear about it. People will question you. The people in your life who gave you those stories who aren't ready to confront their own story are going to have something to say. So like the more that we speak truth to power or step into our own truth, it will be met with a reaction. Sometimes a negative one, sometimes a really harsh one. And it can be hard. It can be hard because then you can, it's going to be like, oh, maybe I can't question this money story. Maybe I can't change this relationship. Oh, what's wrong with me? Because that guilt and shame and blame, those tools will be used again. They always are. And so it's really important to develop that self-compassion, that work that I like to do with people to learn how to have compassion for yourself, love for yourself, because the world is going to start to give you messages that may not be so loving. And you have to be able to give it to yourself to be able to continue to move forward in your truth. So even around money, it will happen. It, it just does. You, the, you have gotten to this place you have with money, this relationship with money beco- for a reason. There have been people in your life who are helping to continue that message for you. And if you want to opt out of it, you're going to hear from them and it's going to be hard. So you have to be prepared to love yourself through that.
0: Yes. Very, very, very important to love yourself. Just like she said, just like Becky said, because I think we can't stress that enough or let's not use stress, say that enough, uh, because it is important. And as you, you know, elevate in life and continue to put your message out there, there are going to be people who want to challenge you and bring up uh, things that's, you know, meant to stop you. But We're not giving up. So today is the perfect time for you to start on that mindset work. And that's one of the areas that's the most important to start working on on your personal or professional uh, journey. So make sure you take the time out to check out Becky go to her Instagram, go to her website, inquire about her services if you're ready to elevate in your mindset. And this is the end of the show and it always goes by so quickly. Um, But I definitely appreciate you, Becky, for taking the time out to talk with me today and share your knowledge and expertise. I learned as well, and I got some great reminders that I need to implement in my life. And I hope that everyone out there listening is going to to apply those mindset tips in your life and make that first step or the next step in your mindset journey. And of course, at the end of every show, I always encourage you to just take it one step at a time and do your best every Single day, and don't wonder what if. Take a risk, and I will see you next week. You can be financially free Cleo.